Sounds good. You're now recording. So I'm attaching a microphone to Terry Denote. He's a cultural knowledge keeper with the Skeetjesen Indian Band. And today he's agreed to take me to a hunting and fishing cabin that he hasn't seen since the Elephant Hill Fire last year. You could put your bag in the corner there. Great. We're both wearing rubber boots, which will be needed for where we're going. It's been raining and the ground is going to be soft. It's going to be wet. This weather has really been Getting to our hunting and fishing grounds is, is getting impossible, so it's really running a havoc on us. So, And that rainfall has also been having a far more serious impact, landslides. There's basically very little left in the hills that surround Skeetjesen to absorb the rain and to stop the earth from sliding down dangerously close to communities. What I'm going to do, instead of taking you to the back, we're going to get back on a highway and cut it in up there. Okay. There it is. The chief. It's rare you run into him. That token, all that jazz, that deceit, oh, well, ach, it's McCadmus. Claxton. Claxton. Ma'a. How you doing, Cookby? Good to see you. This is Chief Ron Ignis. Oh, nice to meet you. I'm Kathy with the Red Cross. Oh, hi, Kathy. Terry explains to the chief why we're changing our route. I'm hoping to get to up into Chasm and cut into Hayum and go right down to the cabin. That's what, that's what my original plan was. But uh, Daryl Peters was up there and he said, don't go. The road we were going to take has in fact been washed out, so we're going to have to take the longer way around. Cut in. Okay, Ron. I'll see you tomorrow then at council. Wait, my wake's him. Terry starts shifting gears and we're finally on our way. The highway we're on, it cuts between the mountains. It weaves its way through the charred hillsides that struggle to absorb all that rainfall. The soil, you see, it's no longer held in place by any living root systems. It's all pretty fragile. The trees themselves often remain standing even after the flames have wrapped themselves around them. But for how long? Their roots are burned, they're dead, there's very little to support them, so even a whisper of a breeze could be enough to send them toppling. We got, you know, when we travel like this, we gotta keep, keep, keep in mind that this could happen to us at any moment, so, especially now when things are really weak. As we drive, Terry tells me stories about his grandpa, how they would go up into the hills when Terry was very young. They would spend days together living off the land. It was Terry's job to go and get the groundhogs that they would eat for dinner. And he chuckles when he's sharing a story about his grandpa getting chased by dozens of Canadian geese after he got a little close to their nest while he was hunting. But now he says the fires and the mudslides are actually interfering with that traditional way of living off the land. Right now we should be in that mountain hunting, gathering and getting our medicines and doing all the, our traditional work right now. I soon get my first look at what landslides can do and it's like some giant hand has come along and wiped away the side of the hill and everything is gone. The trees, massive amounts of earth, huge boulders, all of it comes crashing down, only coming to rest just meters from the highway. This is part of the, the the uh, Elephant Hill fire, these washouts that come down and 
and cover this. It comes down really fast now. It never was like, never have you ever seen this. Never. And now it's here now because everything up top there is burnt out. And um, it's like this all over in, in various parts of this road. These washouts just come down like you wouldn't believe. Water, you can see it right there, how much the water has come down. The rain right now is what we're afraid of. Now, as Terry tells the story, that fear, it's justified. Skeetchison sits in a valley. It's home to about 250 people of all ages, and it is a tight-knit community. There are, of course, homes there. There's an elementary school. There's a cemetery and a gathering place for powwows, which they're very proud of. And three rivers flow into this community from up above. Any shift in the landscape leaves them extremely vulnerable. And uh, when all this happened and all started coming down, you should have been there that day when it hit our reserve. You could hear the rocks just rumbling coming down through in the creek. That's all you heard for about three, four days, just rocks rumbling and water going all over the place. So it was very scary. And um, we were in, uh, in the verge of the evacuation once again because of the floods. So. So now we're turning off the main highway and we start winding our way through the small non-indigenous mountain communities. It is stunningly beautiful here, even amid the destruction. I can see why people would want to live here. For Terry though, it's a pretty painful reminder. Right now, looking at this, I could cry in front of you. It hurts me that much. That's our food gone. So this was all on fire? Yeah, this is Loon Lake. and. Right back over there, a traditional fishing spot. So the trouts would come down there. We only fish at night. We fish with nets and take out two, three hundred trouts a night. But that's all gone now. So here's another lake that's going to be affected by, the fish are going to be affected by the fire. This is Loon Lake. They, they were devastated through here. I'm actually a bit surprised that homes here have already been rebuilt. Despite the potential for more fires, this is home and people don't want to leave. Terry, he understands that sentiment. His people have been living on the land for hundreds of years. And even through many, many hardships, the land they live on, the land that they depend on, it's always provided. The place I'm going, taking you, is one of the lower elevations in our territory that has plentiful of everything that we need. Right now, things are ready for us up there. Um, our medicines, especially our medicines right now. So it's a bit of an inconvenience that we have to do this detour. It's taking us longer to get where we want to go. And Terry has warned me that once we do get to the traditional hunting grounds, there may not be a lot to see. This, this um, Elephant Hill fire burnt 70% of our territory I'm taking you up to. And we had the other side of uh, Dead Man Creek, um, all forested. And this year was an alley fire that literally wiped us out up there. So anyways, that is, like I was saying, this whole side of Dead Man Creek is the prime area for hunting and gathering. So now what do we do? You know, now where do we go? Now how do we feed ourselves traditionally? to put that, that, um, that, that uh, 
berries, the, the plants, the roots, the medicines, and the animals in our body and keep, keep that going. So we're still on the lakeside road. It's still paved at this point. And as we drive, Terry continues to tell me stories about his grandfather. It's obvious how much this man meant to him. Because of him, Terry now knows these mountains like the back of his hand. He knows how to hunt, he knows how to fish, he knows how to gather plants, all in the traditional way. Some of his stories, though, they're absolutely heart-wrenching. There's one in particular, he was a little boy, men in a truck came they picked him up and they took him off to a residential school so he was away from his family he was away from his community he was robbed of precious time with his beloved grandfather and he vowed at a very young age to work hard to protect his traditional way of life in the old days during during my era you go up in my reserve the old reserve there's nothing but cabins they had gunning sacks full of dried everything dried. Everything was dried. We never had freezers or fridges or it was all dried and put away and hung up outside the cabins. The meat, the berries, the medicines, everything was all dried. And we had plenty of food. We had plenty of food to pull us through the winter. No problem. But you don't see that today now. People are doing less of that because there's, there's, there's nothing much for us out here no more. You know, and all this dry food that we gathered, we'd all make our way to, to the fishing camp on horseback and get up there and catch many, 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 many fish and get it down as quick as we can to the community. Because all winter we lived on dry food and our bodies I've been living on dry food all winter. And so these fresh fish that we bring down as quick as we can will flush all that, that, that um, dried food out of you and replenish you and get you ready for the summer. So that has changed now. Now we have Safeways. We have all the big stores now that, that, um, that our people, a lot of our people go to now and um, get that food, that's, that processed food. Now these kinds of pressures on traditional ways are nothing new. First Nations of Canada have been facing numerous threats to their customs and traditions over hundreds of years, and yet they still survive. People look at us just as, oh, you poor Indians. We're not poor. We're a thriving culture, proud of ourselves. We know everything about this land. We live off of it. We'll never be poor. They're the hard 30s, the hungry 30s. The Great, great Depression or Recession, or whatever you call it, that happened across the land. Our elders tell us they didn't even, didn't even know what was happening. Do you like being adventurous? Now I'm beginning to wonder exactly where we are going. We've been in this truck for a very long time. Then we come to a fork in the road and we kind of veer to the right onto a 
dirt road and it's getting narrower with every passing kilometer. We're moving deep into the fire affected forest now. The road is basically little more than two mucky paths where tires have simply driven before. So Terry starts to get the four wheel drive going. Okay, this is where it starts to get adventurous. What strikes me is that I can see through the forest. There is no canopy, there's no leaves on the trees, there are no bushes, just trees burned black. So another way that these fires are affecting Terry and his people's traditional life, they're no longer hunting in these areas. And we can't, we don't hunt the burnt out area. We, we, we said to ourselves, it's too dangerous in there. There's a lot of, a lot of like traps in there where you fall into the ground and go underneath. And a lot of that, a um, lot of this uh, fire, the roots be burning for years. There's not, there's no way you could put that out. So that, that land underneath the ground is um, still burning and uh, dangerous up there. The majority of animals, they've also moved on, but the moose, they stay, they're territorial, at least that's what Terry tells me. And he says the band wants to give them and the plants some time to recover. And we're having reports coming back that they're seeing starving, starving moose because they, they, they survive on the twigs. A lot of it on that um, sweet clover. There was tons of it growing through our territory. But now that's gone. And in the winter, moose would sit there and pot and eat that stuff, eh? These forests, they used to be crowded with undergrowth, but now it's just a shaggy lawn of knee-high pine grass that's growing. It may look good to grass out underneath the burns, eh? But that's not the grass for the animals. Immediately after the fire, Indian bands in the area mobilized to support each other. They ran their own food drives with traditional foods. And then outside groups like the Canadian Red Cross came in and they provided regular deliveries of things like food and firewood. And Red Cross has been coming in and giving us uh, various things like that truckloads of fruit, um, chickens, uh, turkeys, uh, meat, and we're totally grateful of that. I, I, I appreciate all the help we could get, and um, I just wanted to let them know that how, how thankful we are for that. And uh, believe me, it's, it's hard for, for, for a hunter and gatherer to, to accept this, but we have to. We have no choice. He tells me that local businesses also played an important role in keeping people going. I thank them. The grocery stores were being there when we needed them. You know, because of the, 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 the fire, the evacuation. But the painful part for Terry is that as a cultural knowledge keeper, he's dedicated years to keeping traditional ways of hunting and gathering alive. Oh. We really have to rely on a, on a system now, which I was hoping as a traditional man that it never would have happened. I was bringing back hunting camps. I was bringing back fishing camps. I was bringing back the teachings to our children of 
the mountains. Fires are just the latest of a range of mounting pressures that include the development of housing and new roads that encroach on their hunting areas to logging and other more global environmental trends. And the effects on, on climate change is really hurting our, our river systems. The water's getting warmer, getting lower, and the salmon are coming up in really bad shape. So they don't look good because of all of that and all the runoff that's coming down, going into our river system, causing diseases. So we gotta be aware of all this, especially our river. Climate change has really changed that. It really has, so the water's um, lower, slower, and it's really warm. It doesn't have that coolness in it for the salmon. Over the past several decades, Terry tells me that he has seen other changes. The forests have become drier, and he says the warmer weather has introduced infestations of new insects. And you can see it. There were different bugs that came in. I've never seen these bugs before. And they came in and, and literally, over time, ate out everything. Ate everything that, that um, we had grown there. And we had no defense for that. <coughs> it kept going through. And you see it before the burn, all the fur and the fur beetles and the pine beetles and all these other bugs that came through. And literally, over the years, ate everything down to the color of red on those trees. They, they killed them trees, sucking out all that sap and stuff. And there was acres and acres and acres of this kill through our territory. And that's another reason why this fire spread so fast, this Elephant Hill fire spread so fast because there was you get on top and you can see just red where the bugs have gone in and literally killed everything. And it was just bone dry. You could grab it and snap and push over a tree. It was bone dry. And when this fire hit, it had a lot of fuel to go right through the territory and nonstop. And now Terry is really worried about what's going to happen next year. First fire was, I call, a teaser. Now, the big fires to come. Take a look. Next summer, this is going to be so dry. If another fire sparks up, it'll be, it'll be even more devastating. Because now, the trunks and, uh, are all dried out now. So if this fire were to hit again, and it's going to, believe me, it's going to hit us again. Look at all the fuel out there. Holy Lord. This hurts. <laughs> so you could imagine this time of the year, everything we needed was here. There's nothing, there's nothing here now. It's amazing that we got this far, so I'm glad we did. A lot of it, though.
See, we had a hunting cabin and we had a fishing cabin right here. These are our drying racks for fish and for moose and deer. Uh, this is where we've done a lot of work. We camped a lot in here. We have our sweats over there. We had our cabin, was right here. Beautiful cabin too. Uh, there's nothing left of it. <laughs> I have a lot of questions I want to ask Terry, but it just doesn't seem like the right time. This feels like an extremely personal moment for him. Instead, I, I follow him and we walk over to a nearby creek. What we do is our fishermen would come in, throw branches all over especially here, and this is where you, they come in from there, and you put your net in here, and you pull the fish out, have your buckets here, you get three, four hundred a night, you start about 10 o'clock, and then they come running down. This is Hayum. What kind of fish? A rainbow trout, yeah, nice, nice rainbow trout. But I don't know about now. I gotta wait and see now. I wanna get some studies done here and um, see where we go with this now. Sad. Sad to see this. Good to see that moose truck. It came in through here and probably walked in right there. See that grass down right there? Yeah. They come in and they eat a little bit of that stuff growing out of the water. Would you normally, pre-fire, be expecting to see and hear up here? Oh yeah, you'll hear eagles, you hear birds, you hear animals, you hear, oh, especially the birds squawking. And um, what a joy it is to come up here to camp and hear all this. You know, and you hear rustles through the bushes, and you look, and you see a cow or or, or a doe walking by, or you hear all sorts of animals. You know, and so far I've been here, I haven't hear one peep of a of a of a, a squirrel. You know, they all are chirping, chirp, 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 chirp. Terry goes back to the truck and I actually think he's preparing to leave. Instead though, he's getting out a pouch of tobacco. He gives me some of that and later we'll spread it on the land as a ceremonial offering. May it be forever, for hearing my pitiful words today. Thank you. And now we're going back down the mountain and Terry is again talking about his grandpa and how he'll draw on his teachings to help school kids on how to hunt and fish using traditional methods. As a cultural knowledge keeper, he's currently working with a group of elementary school students and he's teaching them traditional drumming. 
All the while, he's trying to grapple and understand himself the reasons why his people's latest challenges and what it means for their survival. Culturally and traditionally and spiritually, I'm still trying to put two and two together. And what does climate change really mean? What does it really mean? And I leave that up to the technical people to give me those answers. And how I wanted to bring in someone that, that studies this kind of stuff into our territory and give me a thorough report on the effects of climate change for years to come. I know what climate change has done to us already, up to this point. But what do we look, how do we look 20, 30, 40, 50 years ahead? Are we even going to be around with our language, with the things we know about the land? Or is there going to be land around to continue this lifestyle? That's what I need to know.